Thank you for bringing these young men to us and their families. We love them. And we pray for Josh and Ruthie as we continue to pray for Ryan and Tabitha. And Lord, we ask that you would use us as a church to um, confirm and strengthen what we sense is your leading so that we might into the future continue to do the work you've called us to do. So God, we pray for this body even this morning as we've gathered together. We pray now as we look to your word, help us. We want to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You ready? Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me for a moment to Hebrews chapter 10. I had more than a few people ask me last week, now that we're done with Romans, now what? What's next? Well, once in a while, in fact, more than once in a while, maybe like once a year, it's good for us to pause, to stop and take stock of what we are, what we're doing as a church. So I want us to take advantage of this set of Sundays in November before Christmas season comes. I hope that didn't take anyone off guard. Christmas is coming. And I want to take advantage of this opportunity to take stock, to think about what we're doing. And while I don't want to limit by any means what we do as a church to our gathering on Sunday morning, I want to start there. We'll see how our gathering here moves out into our larger life as a church. We'll talk about that. But our gatherings on Sunday morning are central. It's like the heart pumping blood out into the other places of our life. At least it should be. Look with me there at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us not neglect the gathering of ourselves together. How many of you have heard that verse before? You read that, and it kind of begs the question, why? Why would we gather together every Sunday? Why has God instructed us to do this, well, there are reasons, and this is what I want us to be thinking about these next four weeks, why we gather. And the first, I believe the greatest reason we gather is to hear from God together. God says, I want you to come together regularly, weekly, and the Lord's Day, Sunday, Resurrection Day, is a good day to do that, gather together, because I want you, you need to, hear from me. You know this, there are all sorts of things we hear throughout the week. I mean, just stop and think about how much and from how many different sources you have taken in this past week input into your mind. We're actually keyed to do this as humans. Humans are hearing creatures we're looking for direction. People want direction, someone to tell them how to do this or that, how to think about this or that. 
And so there's places that we go. We go to our favorite news outlet, or we go to our favorite cultural icon, or we go to our favorite TED Talk, or blog post, or podcast, whatever the, the, the platform is, to, to find direction for how to do this or that, or how to think about this or that. And if we're not looking for direction, a lot of us apparently are looking for distraction. I mean, I learned this past week about the phenomenon of Instagram and YouTube celebrities. I had no idea. I won't tell you who I learned it from, but we were on a pastoral team retreat when it happened, and those who were instructing me were younger than me. I guess that's everybody on the pastoral team. But I found out during the course of that conversation that For example, with one of these YouTube posts, 47 minutes it had been up, and it already had 450,000 views. I was just shocked. In fact, I watched one of them, so I guess that made it 450,001. It was, I just don't know what word to use. Uh, It was insipid, empty, mindless. I don't know that I've ever used this word in the pulpit before, stupid. And apparently, they don't care. YouTube and Instagram does not care that the content of what they're putting up is mindless. They are making untold millions of dollars by having so many people tap into these things. So great is this need for distraction among people, and the question arises, distraction from what? What is it that people so desperately need to be distracted from? And what I think it is, is the weight of reality. The weight of what's real, and the weight of what's true, and the weight of what's important, and likely it's also fueled by this sense of emptiness and meaninglessness and futility. Now, I know that we are all capable of distracting ourselves, and we need the rest and the refreshment that come from engaging in good and godly downtime. But this mindless and apparently endless distraction to the tune of 450 views in 47 minutes of absolutely mindless material. So, combine the desire for direction with the desire for distraction, and you have a recipe for humanity looking for something to put in our minds. And it shapes us. Everything we put in shapes us. Sometimes in very obvious ways it shapes us, like our political views or our buying patterns. Sometimes in very subtle ways it shapes us, like our values, our desires but it all shapes us. None of us should think that we are somehow exempt from that. And all the time, all during that, what we really need, what we really need is to be shaped by what is true and real and important. So because he knows us and because he loves us, God says, listen, what you need to hear is my word. What you need is to hear from me, and you need to hear from me regularly, because if you don't, you're going to lose sight, maybe you'll even lose taste for the things that really matter, for what's really real, 
Somebody shared with me, this is an entry in a devotional. Somebody shared this with me a couple weeks ago. It's so easy to be an identity amnesiac. It's so easy to forget who you are in Christ and what you have been given as his child. It's so easy to shop horizontally for what you've already been given vertically. It's so easy to give in to fear, to give way to shame, or to allow yourself to be weakened by guilt because you forget the present benefits of Jesus' finished work. It's so easy in the hardships of life to forget that nothing is powerful enough to separate you from God's love. When you are struggling, it's so easy to forget that if God gave you His Son, He will also give you everything else you need. It's so easy to fail to live in light of the fact that Jesus didn't just die for your past forgiveness. Praise God that He did. Or your future resurrection, what hope? But also for everything you are facing in the here and now. He goes on to talk about all of the things that it's easy for us to forget and how God has given us this gathering as a vehicle for remembering, for hearing again. Listen, what God has said is trustworthy and we need it. What we need to be shaped by is God's truth. Now, all truth is God's truth. God is the author of all truth. But he has purposed to provide this very concrete gathering of his word, which is truth, truth about reality and meaning, the meaning of life, truth about how to live. There is truth here about your identity. There's truth here about your body and about your mind and about your spirit and what those things are for. There's truth here about your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, Growing up, there's truth here about work, about money, about leisure, about your future, both in this life and in the life to come. And woven in and throughout and underneath all of that, there is truth about God and how amazingly we were made to be in relationship with Him. So God says to us, I want you to gather together regularly. And one of the main reasons I want you to do that is so that you hear from me altogether. So let me show you this morning just two places that this comes through really clearly. Turn with me now to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. I've got part of this passage printed there in the bulletin for you, but I want you to hear the context. So it'll be helpful for you to have your Bibles open to 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading at verse 14. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. He's a young pastor. Paul has left him to lead the church there in the city of Ephesus. Listen to what he says to him, chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. And then Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, 
and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And then look at that second passage. This is, this is Paul speaking not to a pastor, but to a, a church, a congregation, the people there in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work. In you believers. So I want to use those two passages this morning to come at this very important truth that we gather to hear from God together. I want to come at this from two perspectives. The responsibility of the preacher, from my perspective, if you will, which we all, every one of us, needs to understand and make sure that it happens. And then secondly, the responsibility of the congregation, from your perspective, those listening, those hearing, which obviously we all need to understand and make sure is happening. So let's first look back at that passage in 2 Timothy. There are three words in that passage that just pop out. They're the first three words of verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. That's clearly the main thing that Paul is saying to Timothy. So we've got to ask the question, what is this word that Timothy is supposed to preach? And the answer to that question is right there in the context. That's why I read the verses from chapter 3. Look back there again. Verse 15. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. That is speaking about the Old Testament scriptures which Paul says, by the way, in verse 16, were breathed out by God. This is God's very word. And then look right before that at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned, what you've heard from me, my teaching, what you've come to believe. Paul is speaking of what Timothy has heard from him, his teaching, Paul's teaching as an apostle. And immediately after speaking about those two things, the Old Testament scripture and the apostolic teaching, Paul says, preach the word that word. The word made up of both the sacred scriptures and the apostolic message which he had heard from Paul. So the word is that body of truth given by God consisting of the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures, that is the writings of the apostles. This word from God, of God, this good news God's word of salvation in and through Jesus, anticipated throughout the Old Testament. We're going to see that so clearly in December. Now presented and explained throughout the New Testament. So even though Timothy wouldn't have had you know, this book like this, like we have it, all put together, it's the contents of this book, this truth, God's word, that Paul's talking about when he says, preach the word. I think this is a good place for us to pause for just a moment and remind ourselves of the effectiveness and power of God's Word. I mean, it's amazing. All of the things that we are told God's Word can do. Just listen to this. This is an a incomplete but representative catalog of the power and efficacy of God's Word. God's Word brings about faith. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. God's word gives life. You've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. 1 Peter 1, 23. God's word helps us to grow. I commend you to the word of his grace which will build you up. Acts 20, 32. God's word enables our sanctification. The word of God which is at work in you believers. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. God's word actively sanctifies. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. God's word searches our hearts. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to penetrate even to the division of joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges, it searches and judges the thoughts and the intention of the heart. And, and I think about Psalm 19. Would you, just, would you just flip there for a moment with me? Psalm 19. This is one of the first passages of scripture that I came to really have an affection for personally because I saw my dad just loving this passage over us when we were kids. Psalm 19, I want you to see something here. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, when you hear a phrase like that, don't let that just bounce off your brain as some kind of religious cliché. Stop and think about that for just a moment and you realize that's something you want. Or is it just me that needs his soul revived once in a while? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Anybody else interested? Anybody else need their heart rejoiced once in a while? The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Okay, there's a biblical phrase that we don't use very often, so let me help you. Let me tell you the story of... Saul, who issues this stupid command. I just used the word stupid twice in the same sermon. <laughs> this really foolish command that his soldiers are not to eat anything until they defeated the Philistines. Well, Jonathan, his son, is off over here. He's not there when Saul gives that command. And so he, with some buddies, is walking through a little forest area. They come across a honeycomb, and the narrative is just beautiful here. It slows down so you can see it. Jonathan takes his staff and puts it in that honeycomb. He brings up that honey, takes some on his fingers, and he puts it in his mouth. And you know what the very next word in your, or the next line in your Bible is? His eyes brighten. In other words, there was some vitality given to his body. That's what this word says this word can do for your soul. It's amazing all of the things. These are just some of the things that God's word does. Fundamentally, we live by the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So is it any wonder that Paul says to Timothy that God says to pastors, preach this word. It's what people need. We live, we grow, we are nourished, we're sustained by God's word. And you see there what Timothy is supposed to do with that word. Preach it. Preach it. That word preach there is talking not just about some public speech, but about a certain kind of public speaking. It's a kind of speech that's uniquely suited to this particular word. It's, it's an announcing. It is a joyful proclamation of news. Yes, you must speak accurately, but you must also speak appropriately to the message. Yes, you must be faithful in your preaching, but you also must be fitting 
speaking in a manner appropriate to the message, you, you are announcing remarkable news. So your speaking should be marked by gravity and joy and a sense of privilege. There should be a confidence and an urgency that is in keeping with the message, this amazing message of this good news from God so that people can hear not just information, but God's heart toward them. And let's remember this preaching that Paul is instructing Timothy to do is not out on the street corner. There's a place for that. But this preaching is in the context of his pastoral ministry in a local gathering of believers who come together on the Lord's Day to hear from God. So, Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is the pastor's responsibility and it is his love. At least it should be for his church. And Paul tells Timothy why. Why should he do this? Why, why should he preach the word? And the answer is because there is so much at stake. Timothy, your integrity is at stake here. Pastor... Your integrity is at stake. Look at verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, someday you're going to stand before God, Pastor. Paul's saying, keep that in mind, Timothy. Right now that might seem like a distant reality, but he will appear and he will judge, and his kingdom is what will matter in the end. That's the determining thing, Christ's kingdom. So is your ministry, is your preaching completely in line with Christ's kingdom. And not just, not just your integrity is at stake, Timothy, but people's lives are at stake. Look at verses 3 and 4. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. People will want to avoid the truth. They'll go after what suits them. They will, they'll want to hear things that excite their own fancies and make them feel good about themselves. I mean, just turn on the television. And that will have disastrous effects on people and on the church. You know, as we were, as we were anticipating planting Crossway, this is more than 20 years ago now, uh, we were so excited. There was this group of people, a growing group of people that were gathering around the idea. They were excited. There was this energy. And at one point in that process, I was sitting down over lunch with an older pastor, and he said something to me that I will never forget. He, he just looked at me and said, Mike, it's one thing to draw a crowd. It's another thing entirely to build a church. Just about anybody can draw a crowd if you say what people want to hear. But the church is built and shaped and sustained by the Word. Listen, when the church loses its bearings and becomes less about God's Word with all of its promises and all of its instruction and more about our preferences and what we want to hear, it will lose its power to speak to our idolatries and to transform us into Christ-like people. When the church is more about making people feel good and trying to give people what they want, you know, it's all about them feeling loved for who they are. 
affirmed that everything's okay, more about entertainment or getting thrilled or getting validated, and there is no word from God addressing us and calling us to a fundamental change of direction into a new life that is real life, having a real Savior who says, come to me, I tell you, the minute we've lost that, we have lost our reason for existence. So let me just ask you, frankly, this morning, if I may, which gospel do you want me to preach? Which gospel do you want to hear? Which Christ do you want to have presented to you? Some little plastic Jesus that you can put on the dashboard of your car? Making you feel good? Or the Christ who turns the world upside down and makes everything new? Timothy, 21st century preacher, your job is to preach this word so that people hear from God every week. The task of the sermon is to create a time and a space for God to speak. And the only valid effect of my preaching or anyone who stands here is a right hearing of God's Word. You know how sometimes when you're reading in the Old Testament, especially like when you're reading in Isaiah and Jeremiah, and you can sometimes lose track of who's talking, who is this? Is this God or is this the prophet? May the same confusion happen for you every Sunday morning. I know that's my pastor up there, but it sure seems like God is speaking to me right now. I feel my heart being addressed by God. Listen, the greatest compliment you can ever speak to whoever preaches here is this. God spoke to me today. Thank you, pastor, for preaching. God spoke to me today. So that's the pastor's responsibility, and I would appreciate it very much if you would pray for me and for whoever preaches from this pulpit, pray for faithfulness and strength and joy and effectiveness, but pray over all of that for the empowering of the Holy Spirit so that the preaching is a representation, a re-presentation of God's Word. You know, almost every week, I was tempted to say every week, but almost every week there is something that from my time in the Word that I can hardly wait to share with you on Sunday morning. It's where my love for the Bible connects with my love for you. And I would ask that you would pray that God would keep that fresh and alive for as long as he has me here. But now, what about you? What about you? What about your responsibility? The few minutes we have left, I just want to briefly talk to you about your responsibility. Look again at that second passage there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. See, our responsibility as listeners is to receive and accept what is being spoken for what it is. God's Word, which means you've got to be testing. You've got to be checking. Is what he's saying in keeping with what's written in that book? That's why I always encourage you to have your Bible open so that you can see I'm not making this stuff up. What I'm saying 
is what's here. And you've got to test. You've got to test, not just regarding the words, but regarding God's heart. Is the weight and the tone and the urgency right? Is pastor not just objectively accurate, but is he reflecting God's heart? Or is he just up there with his own agenda for himself, trying to be clever or funny or popular, trying to please people? So you've got to be testing. Is God's word being preached? But you also have to be accepting, as Paul said of the Thessalonians. You've got to be accepting. Eric Alexander is a Scottish pastor. He tells a story about a young student from his congregation who went off to study at a university in England. And that student telephoned back to him after several weeks, and Alexander recounts the what got said on that phone call. Here's the student. He's, he says, I've just traveled two and a half hours by bus to the opposite side of the city. I've been here for eight weeks now, and I've been around to every church that I've been told about, which is remotely evangelical. I've heard some marvelous music. I've been under some remarkably scintillating talks about current issues. I have listened to dialogue. I've seen drama. I have been witness to all kinds of excellent occasions of worship. But I'm now sitting back in this university residence this evening asking, will nobody in this city feed my soul? Listen, for that to happen, yes, a preacher must preach God's word, but there's also something you must do. It's not enough to just come and listen. I am concerned about those who, you know, they've become proficient in recognizing good teaching. You could recognize good teaching a mile away. I'm not talking about you right now. I hope I'm not. But they're not accepting the word for what it really is. Allowing it to actually be at work in them. And experiencing the life-giving effect of the word. Listen, your posture should be every Sunday. Your posture of mind and heart should be every Sunday. I need to hear from God today. And not just for my mind, but for my life. So, Pastor, I'm counting on you to open that book. Pastor, it reassures me greatly when you begin every Sunday by saying, please open your Bibles. That's what I know I need, and that's what I've come for, along with all of these other people. So don't let us down, Pastor. You don't have to preach some brilliant sermon. Just make sure you open that book and tell us what God has said. Pastor, I've heard all sorts of stuff this week. Some of it necessary to my life, some of it just downright distracting and misleading. Now I need to hear from and accept and be shaped by God's thoughts and God's heart. That's why I'm here, Pastor, so speak God's word to me and don't let me go home without it. I don't want to be like those people in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Listen, nothing is more important for your growth and your health than a heart hungry to understand and ready to accept what God has said. So come hungry. Come ready. Let God's word in and intend to profit from it. Intend to let it do its work. Friends, we've been instructed very clearly, do not neglect meeting together. 
Don't neglect gathering together. This is not the only way that that happens, but this is the major way that we do that, and we do it regularly, on purpose, this steady rhythm, Sunday by Sunday, and we do so primarily to hear from God together. I received a wonderful text on Friday as I was sitting at Parkside working on this message. Here's what it said. The biggest thrill in this season of my life is Sunday morning in the lobby when the tide of people rushes in to fall again upon the sweet shores of the gospel. This amazing news, this wonderful word from God of all that he has done for us in Christ, may it happen here every week as we gather to hear from God. Let's pray. Father, you give us just the right amount of instruction, and then you give us freedom, you call us to engage, but more important, you give us yourself. You meet us, you speak to us. So we pray, help us as we gather, help us to come with hearts full of eager expectation, we pray in Jesus' name.